Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I would say on this rainy day, by the time you're listening to the you're listening to this episode, hopefully it's sunshiny where you are. It's a little bit of a cloudy, rainy day here in Chattanooga, but I'm, I'm with my friend Ray Barnes. Ray, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. And we're going to actually get into a topic that, admittedly, was never really a strong point of mine, uh, album sales. It's, it's a loaded topic. I think we're probably going to just kind of scratch the surface today, but we'll get to that here in just a bit. Uh, Ray's going to share from her experience and her expertise um, how she's been able to effectively sell albums to her clients. But before we get to that, as we normally do at the Boca Podcast, we're going to start with something called the technique for time or tool for time. I'm curious, Ray, how do you create more space in your life for yourself, um, for your family, so that you have a little bit of free time left over at the end of the day? Yeah, you know, this is something I've struggled with a lot over the years, but I have four little children um, between the ages of three and nine. Wow. So my my time, I have to be very intentional with all of my time. Yeah. And some days I'm better at that than others, obviously. But, you know, childcare limits helps me put dedicate time to my business and then dedicate time to my children because mm. I can't work while my children are all home. It's just too loud and too distracting. And if I'm halfway in one place and halfway in another place, everybody's losing. So, um, so the childcare time really helps me structure my time to be intentional. Um, but obviously with four children, it's really hard for me to find time for myself. I, I feel like the only time I really get to myself is when I'm exercising or if I wake up super early and nobody's up yet, but that's sure. early. <laughs> well, I, you're, you're touching on multiple points here that are interesting. First of all, you mentioned the word intentional, and this is a word that's come up as of late on the podcast. I think it's good. Uh, as much as it's almost like a cliche word these days, you hear it thrown around a lot. If, if people are actually doing it, it can make all the difference in the world. You've, you have this kind of innate set of parameters when it comes to your time, to your schedule, which is when your kids are at childcare. And, right. and it naturally forces you to get as much done as possible in that yes. relatively limited amount of time. And I think that that brings up a really good point, which is especially for those who don't necessarily have that type of just kind of forced upon them structure in their lives mm-hmm. to create some parameters like that, because it does tend to kind of push us to get things done. And and I know like even today, as I'm getting ready to head out on the road tomorrow um, to do some marketing work for Photographer's Edit in Arizona, there is... I just have a natural uh, timeline or a deadline in which I have to get certain number of things done. It just encourages me to work a little bit more efficiently. And I think it's good to have those kinds of parameters. So 
For those of you listening in, if you don't have those types of parameters in place, create them for yourself. It's not a difficult thing to do. Whether it's you know something as simple as hey, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna set a timer here for an hour, and within this hour, I'm gonna get you know this one thing done or these two things done, and I can't work beyond that. So I need to work as efficiently as possible in order to complete that thing. It could be something as simple as that. Maybe yeah. it's a little bit more elaborate, but create parameters for yourself. The other thing that you mentioned that I think we is not emphasized enough is. The idea of multitasking, you said you have a hard time being able to truly be present or focus on what you're doing, the work that you're doing when your kids are around and vice versa. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much multitasking that goes on these days. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. But oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> it really does. As you pointed out, it takes away from our ability to truly kind of give everything to the task at hand, whether it's our work or our kids or relationship with a significant other or whatever it might be. Um, multitasking just isn't helping that. And, and it kills me to hear people kind of almost pride themselves in their supposed ability to be able to multitask. I still mm-hmm. question how much they're able to actually bring to whatever it is that they're doing when they are multitasking, whether it's, you know, phone in hand and conversation with the person in front of them yeah. or phone in hand and whatever work is going on in front of them. Uh, multitasking doesn't help you really truly bring your best. So focus yeah. on the task at hand. I think that's a really great recommendation. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I used to be that kind of person that prided myself on multitasking. And then I realized I really wasn't doing my best. I really wasn't. You know, I would try to work with my kids around and not my best work. And it seems like an obvious thing, but I I just I'm so confused. I mean, I'm thinking back to a a get together that I was at the other day uh, in which there was good conversation happening in this small group of people. And this particular individual was constantly picking up their phone. It was almost like this nervous habit, like they had to do it in order to feel comfortable yeah. in the situation. Like they couldn't just look us, that the group in the in the in the face or in the eyes, and just have conversation with us. They couldn't. It was this this nervous tick almost. Pick up that phone, right. look at the Instagram feed, put the phone back down, go back to conversation. And I don't think there's enough conversation or enough emphasis put on multitasking, as we talked about, the significance of, of how that can actually be detrimental to our work and our relationships. But um, also, I, I don't think there's enough conversation around the reality, which is that our, like our Instagram feeds and our, our Facebook feeds and our email, like they, we, we don't have to respond to them right this second. Our mm-hmm. business isn't going to crash if we don't respond to them right this second. Right. We can dedicate the time that, that we're there having conversation with people or diving into work um, and, and set those things aside for the time being and then get back to that later on. We're not going to suffer as a result. So uh, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a good way to start off the conversation. I, I love this, this intentional effort at focusing on the work at hand. I think it's a good reminder for all of us. How do you like to spend that free time that you might get, whether it's on your own or with your family? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, our family, we really love being outside and, you know, my kids need to run because they're kids. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. So we, we do a lot outside, whether that's just going to a park or if it's going hiking, we really love where we lived in the Adirondacks for five years. We try to go back every year and my kid, that's my kid's favorite week of the year because we're just outside the whole week, just yeah. hiking and swimming and so we really, that's what we really love. But sometimes free time is, for me is just sitting on the couch with my husband with coffee or just watching TV. You know, we're just, 
you know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy with four kids oh, and we get, get tired. So sometimes yeah. it's just nice to sit. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. And, and you know, I, I have to go add the side note here. Some of you listening in who've maybe been listening to the podcast for a little while, the question might be, why, why do you always ask your guests what they do with their free time? What's the point of that? It's not necessarily relevant to me. How does this relate to photography business? And, and really much of the Boca podcast centers around the idea of how to more effectively create freedom for ourselves as business owners. Yes, we're going to talk about photography. That's a big part of what we do. Yes, we're going to talk about business, also a big part of what we do. But I want to highlight, first of all, how we create that freedom for ourselves because more photographers need to do that very proactively, yeah. intentionally, as you said earlier. Uh, but mm-hmm. then I love to have a conversation about how we, how we do actually spend our free time because, again, it highlights the importance of it. Ultimately, as entrepreneurs, if we're not making space or time for ourselves, for the important people in our lives, uh, we're missing out. We're just not living the yeah. life that, that we that we could and ultimately, I think, should be living as entrepreneurs. And uh, so I, I love that. Yeah. It's, and sometimes it's just the simple stuff that's great, you know, just being close, right. watching a, a show, having conversation about it, catching up on the day. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You know, and I, I wanted to touch back on that, like creating yeah. freedom for yourself and time off. I went through a season of my life where my ba- I had babies or I was pregnant or I both and I did not have childcare and my work schedule looked like nap time and bedtime and there was very little margin in my life yeah. and I tell people often that I my work hours I really only work 24 to 30 hours a week. And part of that is just, that's my limit of my childcare. That's what I want to do. I don't want to do more than that. My littlest is just turned three this week. Um, but I would not be able to run a business without a lot of help. And I don't mean just childcare. I mean, outsourcing all the things that drain me. And I think that's something I've noticed in the photography industry is that we're being told we can do it all. Mm. Um, we can do all the marketing, learn how to do this and learn how to do that. And you can yeah. do it all. And you, you can't, unless you want to work 60 hours a week exactly. <laughs> and I've done that, but <laughs> that's not how I want to live anymore. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that word margin. There's actually a book called margin that, that kind of centers around this idea. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but this, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. He's somebody that I bring up quite a bit on, mm-hmm. on the podcast and, um, I'm a fan of him for certainly his work ethic uh, and also his very simple approach to doing business, you know, where where people tend to complicate things a lot of times. He keeps it really straightforward and simple. I love that. Uh, But I I would be the first person to say that I am not one who wants to, like Gary, work 60, 80 hours a week. That's just not the lifestyle that I have planned for myself that I want for myself. And a lot of that has to do with the very thing that we're talking about, which is relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I have made some adjustments in my life and work habits, even in recent months, largely inspired by Gary's work ethic, but I still don't ever care to be the 60, 80 hour a week entrepreneur because there are more important things in my life personally than that. So uh, there is, there is something to be said for prioritizing those things that are going to last beyond our business. And, and a lot of that centers around this, this notion of relationships. I mean, you've got four little ones running around. I have two slightly larger ones running around. Yeah. My, my daughter is, is 13. My son is 16. My daughter who's 13 oh, is 13 wow. is, um, about five ten. 
Uh, it's wow. very easy to forget that that she's still only 13. But regardless, those are the relationships that are right there in front of us. And the idea right. that instead of those relationships, we're stuck in front of the computer. And as mm. you so wonderfully pointed out, because we're just holding on to everything rather than learning how to be an effective manager of our business and delegate right. Uh, mm-hmm. Those things that don't absolutely require us, uh, we're, we're just missing out as a result. So yeah, definitely take advantage Absolutely. of those resources out there, those services out there that can help you run your business. That's really, really important. So I, I'm. let's kind of move on to a little, even more personal element here of our conversation. And this is a fun one for me. What's something kind of random that most people don't know about Ray? <laughs> I had to think really hard about this because I feel like I'm a I'm pretty open book when it comes to who I am, but I was, I was asking my husband, it's like, what do most, I mean, what do people not know about me? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, you know, you don't often share that how much you love to sing. Uh, And I, (laughs) that's just kind of a random thing. I really, uh, the lead in the high school musical. And I, I never really talk about that. How fun. Um, and do you like, do you still sing now? I mean, is it like singing in the shower kind of sing or do you like, do, yeah, do you have outlets I mean, just for all over the house? I mean, okay. and my kids are getting to the age where they're just like, mom, why don't you sing at church? You know, so-and-so's mom sings at church. Yeah. And we once upon a time went to a very tiny church where we had to learn or lead music. So okay. I did lead music and my husband played the guitar, but it's a very emotional thing for me. So I don't, I, I feel like I, can often start crying because yeah. music moves me yes. so deeply. So yes. it's not something that I'm interested to, on, in doing on a stage. I'm glad I did it. But yeah, so I just I just sing to my kids all the time. We sing in the car all the time. And it's just something I random I do, but not many people know. That's cool, though. What, what's yeah. your husband's name? Chris. Chris. So do you and Chris yeah. ever sing together? Like, Does he also have a good voice? Yeah. Yeah, so he actually plays the guitar, not, you know, outside the home that often, sure. but sometimes he'll pick it up and yeah, well, <laughs> we kind of, this sounds like the Brady Bunch or something, No. sometimes we sit around and we, we, he'll play the guitar and we all sing, so there's yeah. There is something really wonderful that comes through connection with music. I, I grew up playing yeah. music uh, all the way actually up into college. I was, I was actually working, it's kind of random, uh, but I was working in a, a minor in clarinet performance. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it, which is, uh, speaking of random things that people don't know about me, that, that would be probably one of them. You know, most people, like clarinet's one of those instruments where you talk about playing it in fifth grade band, and then it kind of just ends right. there. Um, right. I, I wanted to go much <laughs> further with it, but in, in college, in university setting, focus w- when it comes to clarinet performance is around classical music, and I loved classical music, wow. but I, I wanted to go beyond that. I wanted to do some stuff that was more kind of pop and yeah. um, that was not something that they were focusing on in, in the university that I was in at the right. time. So I, I set that aside, but I miss it. I, I also sang in a traveling group, a small traveling group. Oh, and, fun. and so that was really enjoyable as well. But I totally know what you mean when you talk about the emotion that can come from music. I, I, w- I was actually watching a movie last night with my kids that I wasn't particularly impressed with, but the music yes. still got me emotional, I think, in the end, because that, that, that's just that's kind of how I'm wired. It's so ingrained in me from, you know, from my childhood. So I totally understand that. But that's, that's fun, having that outlet and being able to connect with your husband that way. I think that's a really cool yeah. thing. 
yeah, it's fun. <laughs> How long have you been in business as a photographer? And and I want to kind of hear the backstory there. I'll mention just as kind of a side note at the moment, but you're a you're a, a portrait photographer, maybe more specifically a family portrait photographer. And mm-hmm. you also, and this is even, again, a, even more a side note, but you mentioned only working 24 to 30 hours a week. So talk a little bit about the number of sessions that you even shoot in a week, and then maybe you can kind of take a step back and then walk us through how you got into photography. Yeah. So I got into photography very young age and I was into it in high school and wanted to study psychology and become a family counselor. And my art teacher told me about a scholarship that would pay for two years of school if I was an art major. And so I applied for that, got it. And then the rest is history pretty much there. So I stuck with it. And straight out of college, I still thought that I might go into teaching. I was thinking about getting my master's to teach photography on the college level. Yeah. And the the dean, or I guess the dean of the art department called me and said that there was someone looking for a student to photograph their wedding. And she thought of me. And so I did that straight out of college, a couple weeks after I graduated. And I was hooked. I loved it. And um, these were the days of film. This was 2004. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think did... I, I don't think I transitioned actually as a photographer into digital until about 2005. So I still would have been shooting yeah. film in 2004 as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I made the transition to digital in 2006. Okay. Early 2006. Yeah. So I I got my start doing weddings, and and through that time, my husband and I got married. He's a web developer. He developed my many of my websites, but he developed my first one. And during that time, we moved in 2005 to the Adirondacks of New York. So teeny tiny little town, but it was a destination wedding market. So it worked within a year of moving there. I was full-time wedding photographer and my business exploded. And part of that was, you know, it was the days before blogging and people didn't really know about the market at the time. And so people were really just looking at what was there available for them and then maybe bringing in their photographer from their city. So um, my business really took off doing weddings. But fast forward to 2012, we were living in the outskirts of Philadelphia, a very different market. I was pregnant with our third and I was done with weddings. I mm. just couldn't take it anymore. Just the grind of it, like the, the amount of time it yeah. took to run that kind of business? Well, yeah. So it was it was a totally different market, obviously, in Philadelphia than it would be in a tiny town in the mountains. Yeah. And I just I didn't connect with the setting, the mood, the feeling of it. But it also was I was pregnant with our third and I was so tired. I was so tired coming into the weddings and I just couldn't handle the long days on Saturday. And that's really, I mean, my husband's job had changed too. So, you know, he, that was his only day off really Saturday and Sundays. And I just wasn't present. I was gone Saturday and then exhausted on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't a good fit for our family anymore. So I stopped doing them in 2012 and transitioned to family portraits And that was a tough transition, especially being in a new market as a mom to three little kids. And then, you know, I got pregnant with our fourth soon after. And 
um, that was a really tough transition. But now I am back. What I still consider myself a full-time photographer, even though I only work 24 to 30 hours a week. And, you know, I'm only able to do that because I outsource. But And when you say outsource, just, to, just for clarification, you're talking about delegating yeah. editing work, correct? Well, not just editing. So okay. I, I have someone who does my packaging and shipping and delivering. Awesome. I have someone who installs the wall art that people order. I have in the process of hiring a virtual assistant that's going to start taking over some of my client communications. Very cool. Um, and part of that is so that I can be more present with my kids and not feel like I have to take a call on my day off. Yeah. And yeah, and then I have a great hands-on accountant that really helps keep me stay on top of a lot of my finances. I also, gosh, I'm trying to think there's someone else I'm forgetting. (laughs) Oh, I've hired a marketing firm. So yeah, I outsource a lot of things. If I were doing all of that, it would definitely be over 40 hours a week. And and what would you say, again, another aside here, but I think this is a really important conversation. What what would you say to the person who's like, you know, I don't like that, that, that costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. What, what's your response in that case? Well, I get that. I I really get that because I was there. You know, there was the years 2011 to 2016 really were my years where I didn't have margin in my life, where I was working one day a week when my mother-in-law would take my kids and nights and naps. And it was very, very stressful. And I felt like I couldn't afford childcare and I couldn't afford to outsource anything. But the funny thing is, is that once I took that leap to say, no, I really need to hire a babysitter for one day a week. Then that allowed me to do better work, which ended up bringing in more work, right? which paid for her. Right. <laughs> so, and then it like, so it was the trickle. It wasn't like overnight I jumped sure. in and had all of this help. Sure. It was a trickle. It was like, all right, well, what's the next thing that's going to help me do better work? be more efficient? What's the next thing that is really draining me? You know, there are a lot of parts of this business that I just was tired of doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been in business for almost 14 years now. So there are just parts of it that I don't really love and I don't need to be doing it. There's someone that's better at it that will enjoy it. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, I think there are two points that I want to highlight there. Number one, and I'm so glad that you made this point, in response to somebody who says, you know what, it costs too much, whether it's outsourcing editing or accounting or marketing, you even mentioned, and, and I would assume that a lot of that has to do with social media, but it costs too much, right? That that would be kind of yeah. the initial response. It's 200 bucks, I can do it myself, and or it's $100 or $50, whatever it is, I can do it myself and I can, quote, save that cash. Right. The, the reality is you're not only, when, when you're delegating that work elsewhere, you're not only saving you having to do it, saving that time as a result of not having to do that anymore. But it then frees you up to do the thing that is going to bring in more revenue for your business. Right. So there may yeah. be that cost, but then you have an opportunity to build your business, which not only, as you said, pays for whatever it is that you're delegating, but then enables you to make revenue beyond that. And as a result, yeah. your business is growing. And that's the thing that is missed so many times in these conversations about delegation is it costs too much. And that's where the conversation ends. The photographer is not thinking about the bigger picture, which is that they actually have an opportunity to make even more money and, oh, by the way, do so more efficiently. It's it's best of both worlds, win-win situation. 
And so I can't recommend it enough. And and I'm glad yeah. also that you pointed out the fact that it's not just editing because you know some people might be like, well, hey, it's easy. You own an editing company, of course you're talking about this. <laughs> um, but the reality is that that you, as a photography business owner, there are opportunities to outsource or delegate not only editing but album design, accounting, marketing. Yes. Uh, admin work. Are you using a particular um, virtual assistant firm or did you find somebody locally? No. Yeah, no, I just found her privately through another friend who's a photographer that used has used her for years. So, but I know there are some firms out there and, you know, going back to that outsourcing, it for me, it wasn't even just to make more money. It was at first realizing that my time was worth more. Right. You know, I sat down I think at the end of 2016, when I was starting to feel like, all right, I need to, to start vamping this up. I need to start building my business. And I sat down and I timed myself on my editing and I timed myself on all these different tasks and looked at what, you know, my hourly rate, you know, ideally is. And I realized it's more expensive for me to do this than for me to outsource mm. It's cheaper for me to hi- hire someone to do this for right, me right? because I, well, and it comes back down to childcare costs. You know, I know not everybody has this, but that makes my hourly rate that much more pronounced to me because, sure. if, you know, if I'm paying a babysitter $15 an hour. Well, Lord help me if I'm making minimum wage, you know? <laughs> right? Because so, then I'm just yeah go, going in the red. But <laughs> well, you know, and and this I will bring this conversation back around to editing here because I mean, it, as you said, there are different different uh, lifestyles are going to um, just kind of carry different costs, as you're pointing out, childcare, or there may be other costs associated with whether you're married or not, whether you have uh, other businesses that you're taking care of and, and time costs there. But regardless, when it comes to editing, one of the things that, that really can eat up so much time, especially for wedding photographers, is editing those weddings. You're talking about easily. I, I used to say, I think, like 12 to 16 hours uh, oh, yeah. per wedding average for photographers. I think that's actually gone up even more, probably closer to 16 to 20 hours average and oh, beyond, yeah. you know, weeks at yeah. a time, some photographers. And and just that element of running a business can easily eat up that, how much money you're making. I and mean, when you start to do the math, and, and again, this is uh, kudos to you for actually looking at your business um, kind of from the top down, looking at how much time you're spending in it and realizing how much, you're actually paying yourself in the end, which, as you said, could easily be like minimum wage yeah. um, as a result of, of all of the time cost involved. So it's good to be aware of that time cost. It's good to be aware of how much money you are actually making uh, objectively and make some intelligent decisions to save some of that money by outsourcing. But then again, the, the key here is you're not just simply spending money. You now have the, the freedom, the time, and probably the clarity of mind to be able to think about how you can actually build your business and actually make mm-hmm. even more money. And right. so, so that that argument that, hey, it's going to cost money is no longer an argument. It's no longer uh, a point of conversation. So I think that's really, really important. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought this up. This is great. <laughs> now, talk to us a little bit about your, your photography business's brand position. I know you're a family portrait photographer is, is what it says there on your website. Is that how you position your, your photography business? Or if there are other family portrait photography businesses in that area, how do you set yourself apart from them? Yeah, you know, I... My biggest thing is my service. I uh, it, once I do the session, 
I am very hands-on with my client and I am from the very beginning. I will help them plan their outfits. I've even gone shopping for my clients, but I am the playful portrait photographer for busy parents. Many of my clients are, they're both working full-time, busy doctors, lawyers, they're busy, busy people and they're, they don't have time for DIY. So I um, make everything as easy as possible for them. So after the session, I come back to their home. I show them their images. We look at them together. We figure out exactly what we're going to do with them. And then I take it from there. And they don't, my job is hopefully for them to not even have to lift a finger other than getting their toddler to the session, <laughs> which is, is hard work, you know? That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a full service custom portrait photographer for, you know, discerning parents that really want quality. I like the, I guess just the very simple, straightforward nature of that position statement that, that you pointed out earlier, which is you're a playful portrait photographer for busy parents. This is, this is getting very specific. You know, I mean, there are, there are plenty of photographers who are family portrait photographers. And for that matter, you mentioned the word quality just now. I mean, I, I, we could probably not count easily count the number of photographers who talk about how they offer quality work. A lot of people use very, very similar words in their marketing, but I've, Mm -hmm. I've yet to run across a portrait photographer, at least in recent years that I can think of that not only speaks to the idea of being a playful portrait photographer, which I think is fun. And when, when a mother looks at a potential portrait photographer and they're thinking about trying to take their kids to get their pictures done, the last thing they want is somebody who's stuffy and stuck up and boring and, and doesn't know how to work with kids. But right. I, I love the specificity of busy parent because mm-hmm. so many parents are going to be able to relate to that and, and yes. that'll resonate with them and they'll think, oh, this person, this, this photographer is going to actually accommodate my busy schedule and make mm-hmm. it easier for me to be able to get this done. And I think that's, that kind of specificity is something we're really, really missing. I mean, I ask this question a lot to our guests and mm-hmm. the, the responses many times are extremely general and they're really not that different from other photographers, what other photographers say. I love that you actually are setting yourself apart with this kind of specificity. It's a wonderful example for our listeners. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with that, that brand position? Was it, a, was it a process of kind of doing some brainstorming and, and looking at your competition? How did that come about? Yeah, yeah, it was a mixture. I mean, I, I think I lived in a bubble for a little while and thought, you know, that my imagery was super original and that nobody was doing playful portraits. And then, you know, I got out of that bubble and realized everybody's doing that. And, you know, it just, it made me start focusing on, well, who, who have I attracted? Who Mm. have I been serving? Who have been my most loyal clients that keep coming back that tell their friends? And I realized they're all very busy professionals and, Um, The moms and the dads are both very busy. And I think that that was very attractive to them. And then, you know, I started reading, obviously, I asked my clients all for reviews and I started reading those and, and hearing the feedback. And it's like, all right, they love this, not only because of the imagery, but because my, the products that I offer are top notch quality that hopefully will never fall apart, you know, and then I'm doing everything for them. And I actually just recently had a conversation with a client that said that you do so much more than just about any other photographer we've ever worked with. You know, you are, you're not 
not just in the service that you offer before and after, but even at the session, you're just really involved with our kids. And, you know, I, I like to think that I, I can read kids pretty well. You know, some kids need a little time to warm up and sure. some kids are ready to give me a hug and a kiss at the beginning of the session, <laughs> you know, but, yep, yep. you know, I, and I, so I just, I'm very fluid in my session and sometimes it, you know, I warn parents that it can feel very chaotic because I'm trying to make sure the kids are comfortable. I don't want to push them to do something that they don't want to do or, or, force them to do something that would lead to a meltdown. Like we're just going to kind of let, you know, the strongest will kind of lead, you know, and I'm just going to kind of herd cats, you know, know, I'm going to get what I need to get um, for sure. But sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but not at all. I think, I think, I mean, there's no question that going above and beyond uh, to take care of our clients, to create an experience in which they feel, well, not only accommodated their schedule, um, mm-hmm. the, the special needs that they may have for their individual kids, but ultimately right. that you're truly taking care of them every step of the way, especially those, again, as we said, for that are, that are busy, that they don't yes. have time to think of all these details that you've got them, no. you've got their back, you've got them covered. I think that's really, really impactful. And, you know, we've, I've talked about this many times on the podcast before, but the significance of experience these days when you know, taking a decent picture is actually pretty easy. Mm-hmm. A photographer is I, I don't know, I, maybe they just feel better about themselves by kind of propping up their ego, talking about the, the significance of creating art. And, and there is something to that conversation. But the reality is, art is so subjective. And th- mm-hmm. these days with the tools that pretty much anyone has, including our phones, to be able to take a decent picture means that we right. have to step up our game that much more when it comes to the experience that we're right. providing these clients as so-called professional photographers. And uh, I love that you're, that you're doing that. What, what would you say is the toughest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far? Well, there's been a lot of tough ones. <laughs> I'm not sure you can go 14 years in business without learning a lot of Fair lessons. Fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. great point. <laughs> well, and also the time that I came along, you know, if someone coming along right now, there are so many wonderful resources to learn from amazing professionals. And I just did not have that. So I had to learn a lot of things the hard way. And I was really young too. So of course I had that working against me and some people can start a business young and do great. I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I think the hardest one for me, I was reflecting on like, what was the lowest point um, in 2008 was my first year having a six-figure business, and it was amazing, and it was crazy. I was pregnant that year, and I ended the year with $20,000 of credit card debt. Wow, yeah. And I was about to have a baby in January, and I just had a breakdown. I mean, I just was looking at that and I just kept thinking, how did I have such an amazing year? Hmm. And now I'm going on maternity leave with debt, like not even anything to like carry me over. Sure. And I, and that, I mean, I got through it. We we're hardcore Dave Ramsey fans. So, you know, we got all, out of all sorts of debt over the course of the next few years there. But that moment really made me realize how I was planning. I was taking things month at a time. Like, Mm. all right, well, I have to bring in $8,000 a month to cover, 
you know, my assistant to cover my studio space to cover, you know, and I knew that and I kept that going, but I wasn't thinking about that next year, you know, how that next year was going to look. And um, I wasn't planning for the future. And I think that was a moment that I had to learn the hard way. But yeah, I think that was probably the toughest lesson was just learning to plan for the future. And even, I mean, that was, I knew I was having a baby, so I didn't really have an excuse, but there, there are certainly things that come up, you know, where you don't know that you're going to have to take off a couple months. You know, you don't know if um, you're going to be in, you know, an accident tomorrow, or if your family member is going to get really sick or, you know, so I think that that's probably one of the toughest lessons to learn is learning how to financially plan for, emergencies or just for a rainy day. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I swear conversations here at the Boca podcast seem to go kind of in waves. Um, there th- there's, we, we go through a, a series of episodes where there's a theme and then we go to the next theme and the next series of episodes and, and a theme as of late has been finances and, yeah. and, and more specifically this, the importance of approaching your finances as a business owner from a bigger picture perspective, having overarching long-term goals that drive what you do. I mean, literally the type of business model that you create down to how you spend pretty much every hour of each of your work days, everything is driven by these overarching goals. And it's that, it's that kind of big picture perspective or big picture views is something that I refer to it as, um, that comes from a book called time management from the inside out, but a book Mm -hmm. by Julie Morgenstern. We'll link to it in the show notes, but this idea of a big picture view is something that's really, really important because as photography business owners, and I'll, I'll raise my hand as well. I'm certainly guilty of it. It's, it's easy to kind of get stuck in the weeds and just simply react to whatever is happening in front of you versus actually taking a step back. And, and, and really it could take as little as an hour, maybe two at the most to just sit down and think about where you're at uh, financially on a personal level, and then mm-hmm. how that translates to your business, and then set yeah. some very clear goals that are relevant to where you're at and where you want to be. It's so important to, to maintain that perspective as business owners. So you then don't end up at the end of the year or facing a tough situation. You're like, oh, how did I get here? Right. Yeah. I mean, really being proactive instead of reactive. And yes. I think that was my big lesson. Like I had just been living in a reactive, okay, we need this for this and we need this for this, but I wasn't thinking proactively like, well, I, I probably should take two months off to take care of this baby. And I couldn't, you know, because wow. I had not planned for such. Yeah. So, How do you, um, I mean, this really could be another episode or two in and of themselves, but um, what would you say to a photographer who feels like they're kind of in that place right now where they're just, they're stuck. They're trying to make it month to month, book enough business, like you said, to cover the cost expenses of running their business. Um, plus hopefully, you know, pay the bills and, and eat some food. Um, what yeah. would you say <laughs> would be just a, a first, I don't know, step or two that they can take that would make a big impact when it comes to the way that they're ma- managing their finances? Yeah, I think the very first thing that I encourage people to do is to really run the cost of doing business. I don't think enough creative professionals do that when they're running their own business. And it sounds so simple, but really sitting down and looking at all of the costs that you have. I mean, because you think, well, it's only $40 here or $10 here, but you know, things add up. And really making sure that that the percentage of what's coming in 
that's going towards running that business isn't too high. You want to make sure that you're keeping some, but that you're also saving. I mean, that's one thing that I, I preach. <laughs> I'll preach to the cows yeah. come home yep. that you really want to make sure that you are saving so that you don't ever go into debt. And, and a lot of people, you know, running your cost of doing business will change um, probably your pricing. I, I mean, I feel like our industry has become a race to the bottom that it, things have just gotten cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And these businesses just aren't going to be sustainable. And, and I think that we go going back to that being proactive instead of reactive. You know, I, I see some photographers charge based on, well, I want to make this per hour and this shoot only takes me four hours to complete, but you're not thinking about all the hours that go into your marketing or right. your communicating with with inquiries that don't book or, you know, all the little managing your finances and all the little things that add up. Not um, to mention the roughly 30% that's going to go to the government yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing too. I'm like, you have to plan for taxes. They, they love taking those taxes out of the small businesses. And um, yeah. So I think, I think that really, I mean, it sounds so simple to do that, but it, it's something a lot of people miss when they're setting up their pricing um, that not price for profit or sustainability. Yeah, it's so true. And and I'm, I'm glad that you made that point because, and this is something also that's been a bit of a theme, but um, we've been talking about the reality, which is that, you know, pricing, it, it's, I don't know, it's oddly complicated or photographers make it oddly complicated at times when, when really much of that the pricing that you establish for your business, whether you're a portrait photographer or a wedding photographer, should be driven by your goals and mm -hmm. your needs and maybe yeah. even your wants as well. Rather than, I mean, I know you can go take classes, I think, and workshops on pricing and how to price this and how to price that. And to be clear, it's it's important to be aware of your market, your target market, and mm -hmm. your pricing should certainly should be relevant to that. But you should also be just very, very clear about the, the money that you need to make, that you want to make as it relates to your goals and establish your pricing based on that. And then as far as being aware of your numbers, and this is also something we've been talking about recently, but simply having a QuickBooks Online account in which you're plugging everything in, your revenue, your expenses, so that you have a very clear picture of your profit and loss and, and mm -hmm. the numbers that are going out, that are coming in, and ultimately be able to make intelligent decisions based on that information. It's not just about easily paying taxes, whether it's sales tax or your income tax or otherwise. It's also about being aware of the numbers that are running through your business so that you can make intelligent decisions, certainly about your pricing, certainly about the, the clients that you're going after. And not just simply reacting to whatever may be going on in the moment. So, yeah, right. a very, very loaded topic. And we really could yeah. spend multiple episodes on it. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you bring up these points. They're really important for our listeners to keep in mind. On a little bit maybe more trivial note, I'm curious what a favorite piece of gear is in your camera bag these days. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a Nikon girl. I shoot with a Nikon D5. I also have the D3S. I like to take two bodies with me, yeah. especially when I'm working with toddlers because they move really fast. 
So I, I often keep two very different lenses on those bodies and switch them around as needed. I, I have a 70 to 200 2.8 that I've had for 12 years. It's probably time to replace it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when it's still one of my favorite lenses, especially if, if I can get far enough away. So my lenses change based on who I'm photographing. You know, obviously if I'm in someone's home, doing a newborn session, I don't even bring my 70 to 200. I'm, I'm shooting with my 50 or my, maybe my 85, my 17 to 35 is a very popular one on my camera. I like, you know, just being in business for so long, I collected quite a few lenses. Sure. And I rarely ever sell them off, but I, it's probably time to update that 70 to 200. <laughs> well, you know, there's something you're talking about the D5 and D3S. I, I love the bigger bodies. There's something about the yeah. weight of them and having that I vertical shutter release that's, that I, I just personally love. I think it's really, really nice. It helps you keep your hands steady for wedding photographers in particular. You're shooting in right. low light and you need to be able to keep your hands steady. I actually had a, um, a hereditary physical issue, which was, um, and, and I think there's actually a technical term for it maybe even, but uh, where my hands would literally shake. I mean, I just at any time, not because I was nervous or tired or whatever, they would just, they would shake. Uh-huh. And, and as I got more and more into wedding photography, shot for longer and had to learn how to steady my hands, that shaking literally went away. Um, there was, I was uh-huh. able to train my mind, but part of that, I think that was helpful as well at the same time, not only that wonderful, and I shot Nikon as well, 70 to 200 lens, probably my favorite lens. Yeah. Um, at the time, but also shooting with a heavier camera body just made a really big difference in being able to keep my hands steady, just relax and, you know, easily shoot at a 15th of a second and get a sharp image as a result. Um, it's nice yeah. to, to have those, those slightly heavier camera bodies. It can add up after a long day, but, but they're right. certainly yeah. really powerful. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's part of, I don't do weddings anymore, but so I don't have to hold it for too long. Yeah. And I did try the 810 and the 750, I ended up selling them. There, that D5 can focus in the dark. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. And I am, I'm often going inside my clients' homes and there's their toddlers. So they move quickly. So right. if my camera is making me miss the shot, it's gone. So um, that's why I have the D5. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to kind of transition here to our our kind of primary focus for today. We've actually covered a lot of topics. This has been a great conversation (laughs) so far. Uh, but I want to focus on album sales, and and it really is yet again another loaded topic that we could probably spend multiple episodes on. These days, as our industry is more and more kind of digitally driven, we see Mm -hmm. less tangible products and. Mm I'm curious what your experience has been. You've been in the industry for a little while. How have you seen the mentality shift when it comes to tangible products over the last number of years? Yeah, so I've I've seen it shift several times. I feel like when I started was around the time that that shoot and burn or shoot and share was was just starting, and I knew as a in a destination wedding market that I wanted to provide that full service. And it, w- it didn't take me long to automatically pretty much force my clients to all have wedding albums. It was something I was very passionate about that I felt like everyone needed to walk away with something tangible. And somewhere in the middle of my business range, probably when I was pregnant and having all these babies, I, I switched back to a shoot and share model. And it was, you know, maybe not 
as all inclusive as some photographers do. I limited the number of images, but it still was very digital based. Um, And then I started seeing a shift back towards products. I started getting more and more clients really wanting prints and albums and canvases. And so I, around 2016 was the big shift for me when I started picking up more hours of work and realizing I needed to focus more back more on products. And it was a huge shift for me and I have found it immensely rewarding, just not, not just financially, but really seeing my work in print and then giving them to my clients and seeing that emotional response to having something on their wall or having their album, you know, so I feel like we're starting to shift back towards products because people are realizing, I mean, you've said it before, we take a million pictures on our phone and they're pretty decent, but do those ever make it off the screen? And, you know, I do work a lot with children and children aren't looking at these portraits on my computer or my phone. Um, I don't let my kids on either one of those things. (laughs) So if I want my children to see that, that they're in our family portrait there, it needs to be on the wall or it needs to be in a book. And, um, and I think that that, that honestly has been a big thing that has separated me is that I want to serve people this way to me, to make sure that they have something tangible to show for what they're, investing in. You know, I'm, I'm not cheap. I've never been cheap, but I knew that I needed to raise my prices and I couldn't imagine doing so without adding the value of something tangible. And like I said before, I serve busy parents, you know, so if they wanted to get something printed or framed, they may never get around to it. Mm. Or if they do, you know, they get frustrated because they've spent so much time trying to figure it out. Right. So I saved them a lot of time. What would you say is the, um, I don't know, where where is the balance between kind of giving in to what clients seem to, to actually desire, which is just give me the digital files because that's quick and it's convenient and it's easy and it's all I really care about. I just want to be able to scroll through them and look on the phone or, you know, share, mm-hmm. share them on Facebook because that's convenient. Right. It's immediate. And yeah. then this desire to give clients a, as you're talking, as you're pointing out, a, a tangible product, something that is um, lasting, even more lasting in a way. Is is that is that our photographer ego speaking there? Is it really actually that important for the client, or are we are we providing something that isn't absolutely necessary? I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear you play devil's advocate to this because you know there's there's part of me as a pragmatic business owner who thinks if the client just wants digital files, give them digital files. There's been all this uproar in the phot- the photography industry about how, you know, how dare we just shoot and burn or shoot and share, uh, right. that, that it minimizes the significance of the art of photography. And, and, mm-hmm. and yet if that's what the client wants and the client is who we're serving at the end of the day, why would we not just give that to them? I'm, I'm curious to get your commentary on this, this topic. Yeah. So I, I don't sell digital files any longer. I, they are not available as a standalone object unless someone has, I've served some clients that need them for commercial use that they have a, they own their own business and they need family portrait on there or their that someone was running for state office, you know, and needed something. But I include them though with my albums and with my larger wall art. They're not full resolution. I 
you know, I know I can't technically, people could take advantage of that and blow something up and it looks terrible. But I really try to drive home with my clients that I want to make sure that you're getting something quality. But I'm not opposed to giving them the smaller digital files so that they can share on Facebook or so they can print little five by sevens for all the, the grandparents or, you know, and I certainly will print them for them. So I do have clients, I have one extreme and the other, you know, I have some clients that just want the album, sure. they'll get the digital, they'll put the album on the shelf and, you know, look through it every once in a while, but they have the digital files that they have on their computer and that's fine. And then I have clients that I do everything for, you know, I'm printing their Christmas cards, I'm hanging multiple wall galleries. I'm doing an album. I'm doing all the prints for the grandparents. And, you know, I'm doing all the things that they possibly could need because they're busy. So, you know, I, I kind of want to meet people in the middle that way. But it's that's my hard line, though, that I just I want I charge enough that I want to be sure that they have something to show for it. So if someone's like, no, I really don't want an album. I just want the digital. So I'm like, well, it costs the same. So you might as well take the album and just put it on your shelf. And, you know, that's, and I I haven't had anybody take advantage of that yet, but um, it could happen, I suppose. But when you're pushing them to take that, that album, that physical album, is, is it that you are kind of thinking bigger picture, longer term for their sake? Is is that kind of how you you see it? It is. And, you know, I don't want to get argumentative with inquiries or with clients. Sure. But as a parent myself, I we have tons of albums and books of our kids. Every time we've hired a professional, we've always had a book or an album printed. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we do the chat books for the Instagram stuff. And so there, we have so many books around that have our kids' pictures. And it's one of their favorite things to look through. They love it. And it's just not the same, like looking through a screen. And like I said, I don't allow my kids to play with my phone, so they wouldn't really get that. So it's really comes from a long term as a parent, knowing that this is, will be valuable to your children one day. And also the photographers we've hired, you know, in early in our marriage and being parents, they were on CDs or DVDs. Yeah, and, yep. You know, it's like we don't even have a, a drive to read those. Thankfully, we thought to back them up several times. But, right. you know, digital format is is fragile. It's very easy to lose it or for it to become corrupt or for it to get deleted or for, you know, USBs are going to go out of style in a few years, I'm sure. So, you know, it's it's really just about analog. Just, you know, you want your kids to be able to look at this and it's your family history, really. You know, it's all about chronicling your family history and something tangible that, you know, as long as water doesn't spill on it, like it should last for a very long time. Right, right. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it seems like you found a pretty balanced approach to the to the whole issue. Let's make it really tangible for our listeners then. If they want to more effectively sell albums, uh, mm-hmm. a tangible project, a product. Maybe you can kind of walk them through your process, and and they can okay. use that as a as a guide to maybe implementing an updated sales process and and their workflow for the sake of selling more albums. So, will you do that? Will yeah. you kind of walk us through yeah, how you go about absolutely. that sales process? Yeah. So, I mean, the sales process starts with the very first inquiry, right? So, the very first time that I'm talking to 
a prospective client, I'm telling them that the albums are my most popular item and they are, I'm not lying, (laughs) but it starts with the very first part of inquiring with them. Once I've heard their story, once I've talked to them about what they're envisioning and all of those things, then, you know, I start them through the process of talking about albums that many of my clients love so many images that it's just too many to put on the wall. So most of my clients end up going for an album. And if I can interject right there, yeah. Ray, I, I, I love that you're doing this from the very beginning. I think it's important for our mm-hmm. listeners to note that, you know, that sales process doesn't happen. It's not just suddenly forced on the client at the very end that you you do it right. from the very beginning. And you're almost in a sense kind of managing their expectations in a way. Yes. You're saying, hey, look, this is this album. This is what we're working toward. It's right. not just that I'm going to give you a, a really great image. I'm going to do that. But we're working toward creating this beautiful album. And I, I think that's a really great point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to set them up for um, also their expectations of what they might be investing. You know, my albums are often the most expensive item on my price list. So, you know, some people will be like, oh, I don't think I'm going to spend that much. Obviously, I'm not high pressure. If you decide you don't want an album, that's totally fine. We can just work with what you want. But I want to set them up for that. This is possible. This is popular. Yeah. This is what you can expect. So yeah, absolutely. The sales process starts from the very first point of contact. So with the inquiry. Okay, cool. Take us to the next step then. Yeah. So then then the session itself, I shoot for an album. So I am making sure, and I think this would work for any kind of style of family portrait photography or or weddings, obviously, is that I want to make sure that I'm I'm capturing a lot of variety. And this challenges me creatively too, to not be constantly trying to get the same shot for every family because every family is unique. So I want to be making sure that I'm watching them during the session and observing, oh, well, the the big sister just loves pulling on the baby brother's ear for some reason. I want to make sure I capture that. And I want to make sure that I get every combination possible, but I do it organically. So um, as organically as possible. So if if mom and baby are always together, then I want to make sure that baby gets over to daddy at some point, and right. you know, and and make sure I'm mixing it up as much as possible. So for the the session, I want to make sure that the session is geared for an album that I am shooting enough variety that they will love more than five pictures. So that's the next step. Um, and the third is culling. So I, you know, I know I talked about I outsource my editing. I don't outsource my culling. And part of that is how because of how I sell. I want to make sure that I'm showing them the right images to build a great album for them. Hmm. So I call my images. And I because of the way I price my albums, I price them per image. I want to make sure that I'm not showing my clients too many images because, well, it'll lead to the next point. They will end up picking which images they want in their album. And I don't want to make that too complicated of a decision. And I don't want them to get in to saying no too many times. Sure. So, and, and this may be an obvious question, but when you say you don't want it to be too complicated for them, what happens if it does get complicated? They get overwhelmed and they okay. will just say no. Yeah. So when I call my images, I once upon a time, I used to show people 100 to 170 images in their gallery. And that's just way too many. So I narrow it down to ideally 50. 
sometimes 45, sometimes 55. I love um, it. If it's an extended family, I might show 60, depending on how many members in the family. But I'm aiming for 50. And 50 in an album would be an amazing sale for me. So that's really my goal is to show them 50. You know, to that point of overwhelm, I I still can't help but wonder these days when photographers are delivering a thousand images or even more to mm-hmm. their wedding clients, if if they're doing the same thing, if they're overwhelming their clients, like what's the likelihood that those clients are going to look through all thousand images in detail and just be so stoked that they got a thousand images or 1200 images or 1500 images? Would they not be, would they not enjoy the finished product a little bit more if they only had to go through say 600 images, but they were all just absolutely stunning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was part of my process too, is that realizing that if I'm not narrowing these down for my clients, it's going to be even harder for them because they love the people in these images. They are emotionally connected to these people. I am, I'm not so much, you know, I, I love my clients, but I'm, but I don't love them like they're my children. So, you know, they are going to have a a much harder time narrowing it down than I am. And, and I've learned this through also hiring other photographers. We've hired a lot of photographers over the course of our marriage, probably over a dozen. Wow. And yeah, I'm really into that. And one of the things that I have noticed too, is when we're given too many images, it can start to diminish our, you know, opinion of what, well, that's, that's like a almost great shot. If only so-and-so was looking. Yeah. So I've started getting to the point in my culling process that, well, if it's almost a great shot, then it's not a great shot. So I got to take it out. You know, oh, the, the te- technically this looks great, but dad's making weird face. Well, you got to take it out. The only time I ever make exceptions is if it's an, a, a whole family portrait and there really wasn't one where everybody looks amazing. And so I tell them I have an editor that can, you know, do some face swapping between these two. So we can merge these two images together. Yeah, yeah. But that's really the only time I make an exception if it's the large family portrait. And I try not to do that more than once for a session because I don't want them to start getting in that mindset of me swapping a lot of heads, (laughs) all of that. But yeah, it's really important to, to make sure that you're not making the decision process too hard. And if they start saying no too many times, and it's going to become easier for them to say no. And then you're, you know, obviously the sales would then suffer as well. Okay. So we're going to start then. So we start with the inquiry. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, you, you kind of set their expectations. Albums are the most popular product. And I, and I like yeah. that, that mentality that you go into it with. You manage their expectations. Um, then the session, you said you're shooting for an album. You're keeping that album in mind. You're photographing accordingly. Then the culling yeah. process, narrow it down to 45, 50 images, kind of minimize yeah. the complication or the overwhelm when it comes to choosing images for the album. What would be the next step right. then? So the next step is I sit down with my clients and show them their images. So I start with a slideshow just so they get an overview of all of the images. And it's you know usually a great way to present all of them together. But then we go through them and I ask them to just do their gut reaction. You know, like unless there's just a double chin that that's the only reason you don't like it, just your gut reaction if you love it, maybe or no, like we kind of categorize them. And usually when they do that, 
we've, we still have at least 20 images left and that's how many I need to put in an album. So that's the next step. So we go through, I let them do it. I will help them as much help as they need. Some, some people need more help than others. Many of my clients are pretty decisive when it comes to that. So they call it down and then we look at the numbers together and we usually see that it's far too many to put on a wall. So then I bring out, so that's step number four. And then I bring out my big, biggest album. I only show my largest album. And part of that is because I'm coming into their homes, I don't want to be carrying three different albums and a frame and a canvas, you know, it's just too much. But part of it also is showing the biggest. That's what I'm hoping that they'll get, but it's also the most impressive. So when I hand that album to them, it's very heavy. It's a 10 by 15. It's a very soft leather or a very luxe linen. Um, And so there it's an impressive moment and they have to have at least 40 images to get that largest album. So then we go back, you know, what do you have 40 images? Do you want this 10 by 15? Is this too big for you? So that's, that's the final step is trying to figure out how many images they want, what size they want. And from there, you know, it's, I price my albums by the image and they get an automatic upgrade to the next size up once they hit a certain number. So they can't put 20 images in a 10 by 15 album. Okay. And what, what yeah. percentage of your clients would you say purchase that biggest album? It's pretty evenly spread. And I think part of that probably just comes down to the budget limits more than how much they love the images. You know, because I price per image, once you get up to 40 images, it's quite pricey. It's a, a large investment. So, so yeah, it's, it's maybe, it's, yeah, I would say it's pretty evenly split. It's maybe 30% get that largest one. And sometimes people just look at the images and they're like, I don't want to decide. I want them all. And that's great. <laughs> You're like, that okay. <laughs> but you have the <laughs> 10 by 15 album and then you have, what are the other two sizes? So I have an eight by 10. Um, I technically could fit 18 images, but I prefer to keep it at 20. And then a nine by 12 that holds 30 or more. And I I have had clients that, you know, I serve clients that live in the city and they don't have very much space. So I do offer a downgrade in size. There's no change in price, but if they want 35 images in that eight by 10, I'm more than happy to do that for them. And then what software are you using to do the design? Are you delegating the the design, the album design work elsewhere as well? No, I use smart albums. It takes me maybe 15 minutes to design it. Wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah, it's super, super quick. And um, actually the virtual assistant that I'm going to be hiring, she's familiar with that and is more than happy to take over that. Very cool. It's not a huge time sucker for me. And honestly, I, I enjoy it enough. But you know, if it's one more thing off my plate, that's more time to do other things. So. And then what album company, if I can ask, are you using to, to print your albums? Yeah, I use Red Tree. I I love them. Love them. I preach to everybody. <laughs> Red Tree, they're amazing. Their customer service is really incredible. I actually just received one as I was walking in the door today uh, from them. So And then Smart yeah. Albums easily ties into their their yeah. production process. Yeah, so Smart Albums can I think they have templates for just about every company out there that you can imagine. Okay. Um, and it's really easy. I mean, it's a drag and drop sort of thing. 
it's really easy for my, I do let my clients see their proof before it goes into production. Sure. And, you know, some photographers don't do that and that's fine. But um, I personally just feel like my clients have invested so much in this album that they, if they want to say, they should have a say. So, but smart albums makes it super easy with their proofing system that my clients can make little notes on each page of any changes that they want. And more often than not, my clients are, hundred percent fine and just approve it. But I do get some clients that want just a few little changes there. And what percentage of the time are you doing that kind of approval process in person versus virtually? I mean, it's nice to have that, that tool that enables them to be able to comment virtually on their own time. How does that, how does that work? Yeah. So it's all virtually. Um, you know, I, when I did weddings, I, um, would pre-design their album before the sales appointment. And I would highly recommend that for anyone doing weddings, just because it's a lot to ask someone to sift through even five or 600 images. That's a lot to ask somebody to sift through at a sales appointment. So I used to pre-design when I did weddings and then we would work through like, well, do you need to swap something out? But otherwise with portraits, you know, they've already selected all the images. They're not swapping out images. I don't show them proofs online other than their album. It's really just a quick approval. And so that's always done virtually. Well, anything to, to simplify and, and make more convenient the process. Um, that's, yeah. that's really, really wonderful. Well, this has been I, one of the more kind of inclusive conversations that I can think <laughs> of is like, we've covered so many different things, but ultimately this conversation around album design and then sales has been really wonderful. And I really can't thank you enough for taking the time to kind of walk us through the whole process. Maybe just to kind of finish our conversation, what one big idea should photographers kind of keep in mind in order to more effectively sell albums? Yeah, I think one of the things, you know, we already talked through those five, my five steps of selling them the album. But one of the things that I see done poorly, I should say, and that I've done also is when it comes to pricing album, really, they should be priced per image. And I can't say that enough because the value of what we as photographers produce for our clients is in the imagery, ultimately, not in the page it's printed on. And so Retree is, they make stunning, stunning albums. I love their work. It's beautiful. I want to make sure that I'm getting high quality album produced for my client, but the value is in those images. And I think by pricing it per image, it, it communicates to your client too, that the value is there. It's not in just the album. It's you are choosing exactly what you want to go into this to tell your family's story. And, and I think that ultimately is what we need to do for our clients is to communicate that this is a piece of your family's history. We're chronicling your family's history, but also, I mean, it sounds so boring, but taking pictures of your album, showing them on social media, showing them on your blog posts, you know, you show what you want to sell. And that doesn't just mean showing maternity and newborn when that's what you want to photograph. It means showing the albums and showing the canvases. You know, I mean it's a great point. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that, you know, can't be communicated too much. You know, I really try to 
do that as much as possible in my Instagram, my Facebook, my Insta stories, um, my blog posts. I always am trying to show exactly what the client purchased. Wonderful. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to, to kind of sum up our conversation. And I'd love if you don't mind, if you'd share with our listeners where they can find you online, your website and social media as well. Yeah. So I'm raybarnes.com, Ray with an E and Barnes with an E. Facebook and Instagram are both Ray Barnes Photo. I have a group on Facebook called Ray Barnes Education. It's a closed group just to photographers, but I like to help people with their businesses and we talk, do some Facebook lives in there. So um, those are the main places to find me. Perfect. Ray, R-A-E-B-A-R-N-E-S, raybarnes.com and then Ray Barnes Photo, like like we said. And um, thank you so much, Ray, for making time for the Boca podcast today. This has been a really, really lovely conversation. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.